Thanks for pressing play. So what really did happen in 2020? Where's the world of technology heading? What does the future of software look like? And what do we all have to be prepared for? And a whole lot more on this episode of Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Our guest is my buddy and frequent guest, Ray Wong. He's the number one tech analyst in the world, the founder of Constellation Research, and he's going to help us make sense of 2020 and give us some powerful insights as we go forward into 2021. We're sponsored by my friends at Oracle NetSuite. Visit netsuite.com slash different today and learn how you can build the platform for your business. That's netsuite.com slash different. My friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything, bringing data to every question, every decision, and every action. Visit splunk.com slash D2E. And I'm excited to tell you about a new magazine called podcast magazine you know the category is exploding when we've got our own magazine and podcast magazine is the preeminent publication dedicated to podcasts podcast culture and the podcasters that fans love each month podcast magazine takes readers beyond the microphone and into the lives of leading podcasters and beyond for a limited time for our listeners go to podcast magazine.com slash free and you can sign up for your free lifetime subscription that's podcastmagazine.com slash free now hey ho let's go All right. Well, where would you like to start, handsome? <laughs> uh, we can start with COVID hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. That that is like that's huge, right? I mean, you're looking at this. You know, you. I mean, you've been talking about this too, right? You know, um, folks who break their own COVID nineteen restrictions. I mean, if you're going to put a law that only applies to everyone but you, that that's that's an issue. It doesn't matter what party you're in. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You tell me about the Austin guy, right? What, what was he doing? He was uh, the Sam Adler. Is that his name? Sam Adler, the the uh, mayor of Austin, recorded a video apparently from his hotel room in Cabo. Steve Adler. Steve Adler. Steve, Steve Adler. Adler. And I I heard I, I heard this after the fact. Apparently, one of his kids, I don't know, if his daughter or son, got married. And then they went to Cabo after that. I don't, I don't know if they all went to Cabo or who went to Cabo, but the bottom line is there was a wedding and he went to Cabo and he had the fucking gall to record a video from his hotel room in Cabo telling people not to relax on the virus and to shelter in place. That's what he did. Yeah, no, I, th I think the quote was, I mean, the quote was, we need to stay home if you can. This is not the time to relax. We are going to be looking really closely. We have, may have to close things down if we are not careful. And he did that from Cabo on a Facebook post. From Cabo. I know. Yeah. He did that on a Facebook video. Like, what the heck are you doing, dude? <laughs> I mean, what is wrong with, there's got to be something wrong with you when you do that. Like this, like literally something wrong with your brain. <laughs> uh, we, we have that too, right? You're right. Like, uh, what, what did Newsom do? Um, he was at the French Laundry. <laughs> yeah, he was at a party or a wedding or something. And then apparently, uh, I always want to call her London Bridge. <laughs> London Bridge, the, ma the mayor of New York. She was a day after Newsom. She was at a party at the French Laundry. <laughs> It, apparently it's a hot spot to be if you're a politician, you know, but, but here's the kicker, right? So Steve Adler takes a private jet and shows up into Cabo, right? Um, Gavin Newsom was meeting with lobbyists and the members of the California Medical Association, <laughs> all without masks at a crowded table. I mean, that, that's the kicker. <laughs> like, oh, I think man. immediate recalls for these people. The Austin guy, Sam Licardo, too. Sam Licardo, San Jose, right? I mean, he was having Thanksgiving dinner with more than five households. <laughs> so. And was it the mayor of Denver? I think the mayor of Denver did the same thing. Oh, God. Yeah, the mayor of Denver did the same thing. Uh, what else? Um, 
yeah, no, bunch of California lawmakers uh, hung out in Maui, Hawaii. They <laughs> had a meeting out lobbyists. there, right? <laughs> it's a meeting with lobbyists. I don't know if that's a meeting, but <laughs> it sounds like a boondoggle. <laughs> So, and you got, yeah, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you got Diane Feinstein in airport, no face coverings. Yep. <laughs> well, and of course the other thing with Diane Feinstein, remember a couple of weeks back or whenever it was, which she was, she was caught going to the hair salon or the spa or something. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I think the Denver mayor was in th- Mississippi. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got it here. His name is Hancock. And he has come out and said that he was hypocritical. Michael Hancock. Michael Hancock. Michael Han- Denver uh, Mayor Michael Hancock. And and we got Muriel Bowser from D.C., right? You know, don't go anywhere. But I'm going to Delaware to celebrate Joe Biden's presidential victory. That's essential travel. <laughs> well, and these are all Democrats doing this, too. Like, I'm I, sure don't, I think every Republicans. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are shitty Republicans. I'm not debating. (laughs) We're both independent, so we can go, we can rag on this. (laughs) Yeah. Assholes are not (laughs) particular, particular to one party or another, but it just seems a little extra sanctimonious. Although the other one, did you see, um, (laughs) Brian Williams the other day, (laughs) lit the internet, uh, the internet up on fire. What's the name of the guy who's the host of Fox and Friends in the morning? The, the sort of silver foxy guy. Is that Steve Ducey? I don't know. Um, anyway, that guy a few days ago gave a bit of a sermon about how it turns out maybe masks work. <laughs> <laughs> it's Steve Ducey. It's Steve Ducey. Yes, it's yeah, Steve Ducey. <laughs> that guy. So if you, if you go into Brian Williams' Twitter feed, you'll see he 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 does this great thing where he says, you know, however many people are dead now, however many people infections and, 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 and then finally on Fox and friends, they say, well, maybe, maybe there's some data that suggests that masks work. <laughs> you got to have the right masks though. I mean, we got all these folks wearing like the cloth masks and like, honestly, if you're not working out wearing a medical grade mask, then, you know, it's still better than nothing. But, but I, I think people need to understand like the, the right mask for the right occasion. Like you're, you're outside. Okay, fine. You know, you're at the dental office. You see, you see the dentist. Oh my God. They're, so, they're totally wrapped up. Have you been to a dentist lately? No. How do you, how does a dentist work right now? How do you go to a dentist right now? How does that work? You, you go to a dentist, you, you have to, you know, sign all the release forms that you're not sick. You get in there and then, right, the dentist shows up in like an astronaut suit. I mean, they got the PPE with the face mask. They're completely sealed in. Every piece of equipment's duct taped down, like plastic across. There's a negative air filter that's going on that's sucking air out of the facility into like, you know, out of the windows. Um, I mean, they've got everything going on. Um, and, and they've got these UVC like lighting things. They've got UV things. Things that are, you know, like all around your area to sanitize and everything is completely accounted for. Like I've never seen dental, I mean, dental offices are usually not too bad, but like these are completely pristine. It's like a, it's like those cold rooms, like you see in semiconductor fabs. Huh? No, it sounds like you've been, have you been to the dentist since this stuff broke out? I mean, I've gone twice and I'm just like, wow. I mean, this is. So you, you so you had your teeth cleaned and, and you think it's safe. I, could I go get my teeth cleaned even as the surge is surging on top of the surge of the surge? I think it's actually the safest place to go. Hmm. I mean, that the, they're so safe, so clean there. So, um, and you pay. I mean, you had to pay your PPE charge. There's a PPE additional charge, and you know why, right? I mean, they're they're completely masked up. Every time they see a patient, they slip out of the PPE. They get into something new. It's brand new face shield, brand new gloves, brand new gowns. You know, it's this negative pressure thing that they have. Like, you know, one of our, my dentists, like uh, he and she and her brother have this like you know Japanese thing with like you know a laser UVC thing that kills everything in sight. You know, they've got like stuff being vented out, negative pressure rooms. I mean, it looks like a fab, right? Like the way fabs are set up. Speaking of things that clean things, um, I don't know if you know or if you remember in the uh, in the speaker um, care package you sent for the enterprise conference. You, you know there was a Mophie thing in there that dis, that sanitizes your your uh, your phone. That was a hit, man. Everybody's asking about that thing. I bet it was a hit. I thought, wow, that's such a cool new category. It charges your phone and sanitizes it at the same time. I know. I mean, there was a, 
yeah, that, that was definitely one on the hot list. And then for our, I mean, for everybody on our team, like we had a chance for people to like choose whatever, you know, gift they wanted for a normal summer retreat. And I think almost a third of the team chose these UVC hand wands, right? You literally put stuff over and, you know, and boom, right? You, you clean everything up with it. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I remember, I remember when all of this was just starting, you and I got together, we did a podcast and you said there was going to be different kinds of, I, I, th- I think you might've even called it discrimination around temperature because you had been in Vegas and they had taken your temperature and now we've all gotten used to it, right? Like did, when you went to the dentist, do they take your temperature? Oh no, they take your temperature everywhere. You, you go yeah. eat at a restaurant now and we go to the dentist. They definitely took your temperature, right? You're signing stuff. What I'm really worried about is the privacy when you show up for contact tracing at restaurants. Like they want everything about you at a restaurant. Like, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, you got to make up some fake aliases to eat today, right? I mean, otherwise they're like, oh, where do you live? What's your phone number? What's your address? Can I have that? Right. If you want to eat and, and they're all being required by the state to provide that information. Yeah. So there's discrimination based on how warm you are now. <laughs> Come on, Chris. We need to be inclusive about that. <laughs> I know. Warm, warm, warm people are welcome. Warm, or warmer people r- are just as important as people who are running cold. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, so. I got a totally random segue for you. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Do you remember Tom Vu? I think so. Does that name ring a bell? Yes. Why would I remember this guy? The infomercial guy? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've been getting into these. I, I had this thing happen to me recently where these he's guys invited. Player, though? Wasn't he a poker he's player? He's a poker player now, but you remember the whole come to my seminar thing? Yeah. Come to my seminar. <laughs> right. I come to America with $1. I invest that $1 in real estate. And remember how the greatest thing about those top videos was he was always surrounded by women in bikinis yes and he never addressed the fact that they were there it's like he was talking (laughs) pitching his seminar and there would be like four or five gals around him barely clothed and he'd be on the boat or in front of a rolls royce or in front of what i'm sure was a rented house and he never addressed the fact that he was always draped in these women in bikinis Anyway, I, uh, long story longer, I got in this, this publication who does this thing they call a, a spotlight on influencers. They invited me to be spotlighted. And um, I said, you obviously haven't drilled into my work very much. <laughs> because if you know anything about me, you know that I think influencer, influencers are assholes. <laughs> and I ended up getting into a bit of an education session. It was a publication run by a younger younger guy and he'd never heard of it. And I said, look, dude, all these influencers, these, these, uh, Grant Cardones and Ty Lopez's and Gary V's and all these guys, they're just bad Tom Vu knockoffs. If you're going to do this, you should at least pay tribute to the original. <laughs> it's all about getting so, to the Tom Vu seminar, man. I mean, <laughs> I would love to get Tom Vu on the podcast. Actually, I think we should, I'll track to see down who knows where Tom Vu is, but yeah, let's see if we can get Tom Vu on. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I saw awesome. a photo of him on. He's really, really fat. I don't know really if we could do that on TV, though. <laughs> well, no, maybe you could come on, the three of us. We could do it here. <laughs> we don't have to. It's probably not right for Disrupt TV, but Tom Vu. <laughs> Tom the Vu original, the, the original, original hustle porn star himself. <laughs> oh, my. Come to my <laughs> seminar. Come to my seminar. I invite you to come to my seminar. Learn how to make a lot of money. Once you have a taste of a good life, you will never go back. He bought so much TV time. So I, 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 anyway, long story, way longer. As a result of all this, um, last night, I, I ended up staying up later than normal because I fell down a Tom Vu uh, rabbit hole on the internet. And that guy bought so much TV time. Do you know there's an in, uh, in living color sketch about him? <laughs> no, I didn't. That's how prevalent that come to my seminar video <laughs> on TV <laughs> It's up there with the my pillow guy, dude. I mean, he was everywhere. <laughs> that so. guy's weird, isn't he? That guy's just there's something creepy about that guy. He's kind of like a he had a big conversion, right? Uh, is rags to riches, uh, almost deathbed to uh, entrepreneur, and uh, you know he's he's just. I mean, he's thank thankful for life, I guess. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, that that's cool. I didn't know that. What happened to him? Do you know? Uh, I think it was 
uh, left in the streets of Mexico with a drug overdose and something happened. He found his faith and, uh, you know, ended up building up a, a company that manufactures pillows in Minnesota that has massive margins and hires a lot of people. <laughs> it's actually not a bad story. So, No, no, that, that part's really cool. There's just something creepy about him that he's got a weird dye job and I don't know. He just looks a little, I mean, listen, hey. I hope he's a great guy and I'm probably being completely terrible, but there's something creepy about him to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) so what do you think of this um, Salesforce Slack $27 billion deal? I think they're calling the deal wrong and and I understand why it's done that way, right? It's it's the same reason I I thought the way they called the MuleSoft deal wrong as well, because um, people are like, oh my God, they're buying this to compete directly with Microsoft and they're trying to take advantage of the, you know, pandemic work, you know, market and they're trying to, you know, address remote from, you know, remote work or they're trying to address collaboration Right. And, and I guess they're all kind of true, but they're not really true. And, and I guess this is, you know, here's the nugget for everybody that's looking at the space. Uh, I actually think that the future of software is different, right? This is, this is, we're basically in this process of building business graphs, right? Just like in social media, there's social graphs. People provide all their information for free. They tell you where they are. You know, they say things, right? You know, you can see what their feeds look like. They post pictures and stuff like that. Imagine what would happen if businesses actually had a business graph they could use inside their organizations. They could tap tribal knowledge. They could understand why people make stupid decisions, or they could understand how to learn from people who are doing great stuff inside their company. And there is no business graph inside companies today. And the truth, you know, like the little truth about, yeah, Salesforce was competing with Microsoft with Teams is the fact that Teams is kind of like this connective tissue inside Microsoft that brings all this stuff together that allows you to get to a business graph. Now, why do we want a business graph? The goal of a business graph is so that we can start making better decisions. We call them precision decisions. And, and the goal is to improve this concept called decision velocity, which, which I talk a lot about in my next book, which is, you know, Machines make decisions 100 times per second. Humans are lucky to make one per second. And even when they do, they still got to get past management committee, which takes them like four weeks, right? There's, there's decision asymmetry going on here. And, and that's the challenge. And so how do you get past that? Well, you got to have a graph. You got to start understanding what decisions people are making. Then we got to start automating things that people do all the time. And then pretty soon you can get to some kind of AI model. So so I see this acquisition by Salesforce as kind of like we got to fix the plumbing inside our house. And part of that plumbing is really connecting all these disparate islands of information together. And the goal here is really to make faster decisions, but we can't do any of the stuff that we talk about in AI until we pull all this stuff together. Like we have some parts of it, we can kind of make it work, but when we want to break through functional fiefdoms, when we want to jump in to driving down the barriers to decision velocity, right? So that we can actually get to some business value. That's really the future of where software is headed. And that's why, you know, you'd spend 27.7 billion for this. Now, if you're buying this for collaboration, good God. I mean, if you can't build this with 27.7 billion, your, your dev teams suck. <laughs> so, so it's more than just, you know, buying this for collab and it's more than, oh, yeah, this is like a post pandemic collab tool. People weren't buying it because Microsoft was giving stuff away for free and teams and people weren't buying it in the droves because it didn't have video. So, so that's why I don't think this is what people are calling as, you know, here's just the, this is just like the main deal for, you know, pandemic. It's another acquisition for top line growth. There's a lot more behind this deal. Yeah. So this is a category acceleration deal, right? This is to your point. This isn't just about getting the functionality of Slack. This isn't just about their product or their technology or even their revenue or people. Although, of course, all those things matter. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't matter. Of course they matter. But what they're really doing is they bought the number one, the category king in that space, and they're going to combine it together and they're playing for a different future, right? I mean, Benioff says it in the press release. I, I forget exactly how he puts it, but he talks about sort of leading in the new distributed work from anywhere a placeless workplace, right? And so they're trying to uh, play this thing forward and get really creative about the future of work. And and this acquisition absolutely makes Salesforce stronger than they were. And to put it in the negative, if one of their key competitors had purchased it, 
it wouldn't have been that awesome for them, right? So I think it's a great acquisition. And it's the kind of category acceleration deal that category designers, visionary entrepreneurs, visionary CEOs who are trying to shape the future as opposed to monetize the present or the past, it's the kind of thing they do. Now, I don't know whether it's going to be successful or not, but I think it's I think it shows how sort of spreadsheet legacy thinking Wall Street still is that they don't understand what he's trying to do here. I think they're just looking at the risk and I agree with you. They 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 don't understand the categories and how the categories come together. They they think about it in broad strokes and they're just looking at the numbers and saying, "Who would pay 27.7 billion for this? That doesn't make sense." And and I, I get it, right? I mean, MuleSoft, the same thing. Like, why would you pay so much, you know, for integration software? But they're not buying integration. They're buying a path to microservices and APIs, yes. right? So that's a very, very different game. And But you can't tell that to the street. So the street just wants to know, hey, is that accretive? Uh, you know, does that drive down, you know, CACs? Uh, what's that going to mean for, you know, ARPU? Okay, fine. And, and, and you know what? Slack could not sell in the enterprise to save their butt. I mean, they they got some great deals and then they got quashed by teams. Now you got Salesforce putting product in the pipe. It definitely should be better. Now, is that yes. 27.7 billion better? Probably not. Is it like 15 billion better? Maybe. Um, but the other 10 is being used for building the rest of their platform. Right. right. And so, so, that, so that's a different game. And, you know, I, I did an episode of, uh, of my marketing podcast on this. And one of the analogies I used was going back to Google buying uh, YouTube in 2006 for $1.65 billion. And at, and at the time, Google had no revenue. 65 people was barely two years old. And I know you remember it well. Uh, everybody said, oh, this is ridiculous and this is stupid and uh, they smoke in pot and this and that and the other. And of course, you look at it today, uh, YouTube's the number two search engine in the world. And I did some checking in 2019, YouTube did $15 billion worth of ad uh, revenue. Oh, it was a brilliant move. I mean, the, the model they're in is search. They dominate search. Videos comprise a lot more search than was in 2006 when they bought them for $1.65 billion. Uh, you know, and the question is, like, what's the next big growth area? I mean, that's why when all these folks were running after, like, TikTok, I mean, it makes sense. 100 million monthly active users. I mean, that's the next YouTube. Right. So why don't you get a crack at this? And the whole point is digital advertising and search revenue. Yeah. And, and the thing, the big point to me, and I'm curious to bounce this off of you, is that um, the future, a.k.a. new categories, is not obvious in the present and becomes uh, very obvious uh, in the future. And so just like YouTube, uh, Google YouTube, where people didn't understand what they were doing at the time, I, I think it's a reasonably fair analogy here. They are trying to position themselves for the future of, of the way work gets done by buying a fellow category king in an adjacent uh, market category, uh, to your point, to try to do something very different going forward. Yeah, and they did kind of hint at what that was. They called this thing called Hyperforce. <laughs> so I'm trying to imagine how Benioff said it. Hyperforce. Uh, but 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 uh but yeah, no. So so it's basically their their new platform, right? And when you think about what where where you already gotta go, um, these new categories are being created or or they're being evolved, right? It's it's kind of like people saying, you know. Facebook is a monopoly in like social and Google is a monopoly in search and Amazon's monopoly in commerce. And, and those are all true statements in the sense that, you know, there's not a lot of competition in those areas. However, they're competing with each other head on for digital yes. advertising revenue, right? Google's got 137 billion. I think Facebook's got like 70 billion and I don't know, Amazon's coming in close at 10 to 12 billion. Like those top three are more than anybody else after that. Like I think Microsoft's in right. there maybe for a billion. I mean, it's nothing, right? It's a rounding error for all these other companies. And so, and that's including all the media advertisers, right? right. TV, everything, all the way down it's the incredible. line, all the big comms companies, they're not even in the game. So, right. so we got this massive winner takes all market in digital ads and it's, a very competitive market between those three, uh, yet they happen to be running some of the largest market shares in each of their categories. They're all category kings, right? So the right. category kings, taking your, like all the work that you did and all the research in your book, right? These category kings are now battling for six areas of monetization, you know, ad revenue, search revenue, goods, services, memberships, subscriptions. 
And it's a real battle. Hmm. Could you go through that list again? Ads? Ads, search, services, goods, memberships, and subscriptions. Yep. So those are the, all the primary ways people are making money on the internet today. Those are all your digital monetization models. Now, yep. I won't say too much before a book comes out, right? But there's a, <laughs> that's what we spent a lot of time talking about, which is, you know, these different monetization plays that are happening. And we talk about how the fact value chains are collapsing. But, but in Salesforce's case and in Microsoft's case, they're building this almost like a business operating system or this business nervous system. I don't know. I can't come up with any more bad acronyms like BNS. Huh. Um, business but, nervous system sounds smart to me. Maybe, but they're building this intelligence layer that's actually coming um, in the transactions between, you know, here's a sales order. This is a customer. Here's an invoice. Here's the individuals that are playing in between it. Here's the interactions that they're taking. And here's the context. And that's what's creating this new business graph. And that's the future of software. Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Now, here's the kicker. You and I should start a new company. (laughs) What we're going to do is give away all this transactional software for free. So I'm going to, we're going to go to every company in the world and say, you can have like, you know, SAP, Oracle, Workday, Salesforce quality software for free. And we're going to charge you implementation, of course, just to make sure it goes fine. And in exchange for getting that free software, we want all your business data. We're not going to sell your business data raw form. We're going to aggregate it and sell you back the next best action. So prediction, risk indicators, pricing optimization. We will sell you that on a consumption basis, and you will hit our APIs for that. But in the meantime, all your transactional services, we're going to take care of that for free. We're going to create the world's biggest network for business information. And so wait a minute. I just want to make sure I understand this idea. You get the transaction system for free, counting, AP, AR, order entry, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then what you buy from us is essentially any business insights, any actions that are being recommended, any of the forward-leaning and analytical ML, AI shit that lives on top of that you buy from us. You pay for analytics. We'll give you automation for free as well. We want you to collect as much data as quickly as you can. So any kind of automation we will give you for free. But when it comes to brokering you insights, you know, and you're doing forecasting and planning and you're, you need other data sources, you pay for that. Right. And it might be expensive. It might be the same as buying transactional software, but here's the kicker. You're going to have the world's biggest data set of business information that will guide your decisions. And that is much more valuable than what we're doing in transactional software. I mean, transactional software today, even social software today, even some of this journey orchestration stuff, we're seeing the experience layer. It's great, you know, but but all I really want to get to is like, do, do I sell you more? I don't know. Do I sell you more champagne or Barolo, right? Do I, you know, uh, come by and fix your, you know, HVAC equipment three days earlier so that it doesn't go down so that I can save on my underwriting costs? Uh, do I make sure that, you know, I pay you early because that 0.5% discount helps my treasury? I mean, that's more valuable than transactional software, but the transactional software alone, you're never going to collect enough data to make those kind of decisions on your own. Hmm. You know, the so if interesting you're out there and you're an investor, let us know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Call us. We got an idea for you. If you're a venture capitalist, the interesting thing about that idea, uh, well, there's a lot, but one of them that immediately jumps to mind is, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this data flywheel business and me and my buddy Eddie have written for HBR on essentially that we don't think you can build a category king, category queen business today without a data flywheel. And so the interesting thing with this idea is um, the data flywheel that you would have would be around best practices and insights around what hundreds and hundreds to thousands and tens of thousands of companies over time are doing. And so the level of insight you'd have around the way companies operate and where the log jams are and where the efficiency gains are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, would be like nobody's ever had in the history of business. No, they would never have had that much data, right? And when people talk about platforms, like, oh, we're building a platform. And I mean, like, do you really understand what you're doing in your platform? Most people don't, oh, we've got this platform and flywheel effect. I'm like, okay, let's break that down. That is a data-driven digital network. You are taking the biggest number of nodes that you can, whether it's people, machines, anything you want to connect to, and you Mm -hmm. are trying to create as many edges as you can to create that business graph. Right. And once you have that, that is that is the secret, right? We are creating automated 
types of you know digital feedback loops, data collection, uh, ambient sensing. We're trying to make it so easy to bring the data into the system, uh, and so that we can get the better decisions. Right. This this is the battle for decision velocity. Well, you know, and it's so interesting that you say this because if we go back to M and A for a second. I think most people still don't understand why Microsoft bought LinkedIn. And my theory goes like this. Do you want the real story? <laughs> yeah, okay, tell me the real story. What's your, I have what's my your theory. real story? Look, go with your theory, go with your theory. My theory is this, is um, because of that graph that you talk about, every white collar knowledge worker in the world is on LinkedIn. And we say where we went to school and when we get a new job and if we get certified in a new thing or we do it. And then, of course, we can all post shit so they know what we're interested in, know who are all our colleagues and friends are, blah, 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 right? Well, if you were building knowledge worker software for the enterprise, would having a real-time, always up-to-date uh, database of what every knowledge worker in the world is up to, would that be valuable? <laughs> I think it would. No, no not at all. <laughs> you don't think so? Okay, oh, no, tell totally me why right. I'm wrong. No, no, you're completely right. You're completely right. I'm okay. just being sarcastic. Yeah, it's totally so important. It, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sighing and hawing and hissing here only because... So, so I believe the original genesis of that idea actually came from Mark Benioff. And in these like potentially allegedly rumored allegations of Microsoft buying Salesforce back in the day, um, he had made that suggestion. And when the merger talks, you know, failed and they didn't consummate the deal, you know, Satya goes out and buys LinkedIn, right? And, yeah. you know, one could hypothesize that Satya basically took Mark's playbook since he's taken over, right? You know, let's go do tech for good. Let's go write a book. We're going to go save the world. Let's partner with everybody, right? And and one of it was to pick up LinkedIn. And that was on the list of, of acquisitions that they probably talked about. And, and what makes this even more interesting is that, you know, apparently this is what's been said, and this is still very rumor and speculative, but the rumor was that Satya would not put Mark on the board, but then he goes and buys LinkedIn and puts Reed on the board of Microsoft. Hmm. And then, hmm. so one of these days, somebody will validate this, you know, this, I, I feel like we're in Valley Wag territory now. <laughs> but, yeah. Now we're, yeah. <laughs> well, the other one, of course, that's been a rumor forever and ever and ever is that. Larry Ellison would buy Salesforce, make Mark the heir apparent, Bob's your uncle, and that all makes sense, right? But I don't know. That hasn't happened yet. No, I think Larry Ellison outlives everybody and runs the whole world from Lanai. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, have we, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Have you been to uh, Lanai since he bought the place? No, I want to. I hear it's amazing. Oh, so. dude. So he bought the whole island, right? And he preserved it. He seems to be doing wonderful things from that perspective. And then he dumped some gigantic amount of money into the Four Seasons there. Well, oh, yeah. a couple of years ago, my wife organized a trip for us and one other couple, dear friends. And we went and spent three or four days there. Holy fuck. It is so great. That Four Seasons is a stunner. The food, the sur all of that amazing. And then... You know, it's a pristine island. There's hardly anybody there. And you can go do all this stuff. The sightseeing is incredible. And it, it, anyway, it is a magical place. And I take my hat off to Larry. Uh, he's beloved by the people there, at least the ones that we talk to. And so um, by all uh, I can tell, Larry Ellison has done an unbelievably legendary job on Lanai uh, in Hawaii. He is. I mean, they, they, he basically, there's no traffic lights. It's a 140 square mile island. I mean, there's 3,200 people there. He's upgraded the schools. There's three hotels, I think two, four seasons. I don't know which one you stayed, right? He's about to buy the electric grid is, is part of the rumor that's going on there. But what a steal, 300 million for an island. Yeah. Um, and he's doing steal. cool things with it. Uh, I don't know. It looks like it to me. I'm not an expert, but it, uh, as a visitor, it was, uh, it was quite stunning, and I would uh, absolutely recommend it to people. Um, he paid all the workers till May during COVID. I don't know if he still kept paying them. I mean, it's pretty interesting. So, Yeah, and, you know, a place like Hawaii right now, or uh, I don't know, is 80% of their revenue related to tourism? Yeah, I think it's a high number like that. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's a, it's a huge number for them. 
Yeah, and I have a couple friends who live there, and it sounds like it's been super challenging there economically. The COVID is low there; they've kept it, they've kept it way down. But, um, but I guess economically, it's pretty tough over there right now. I mean, I think last year they did almost four and a half billion in room revenues, right? That's probably all pretty much decimated, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a big number. So, so what do you think happens now with like? You know, another big question, of course, is Zoom. I mean, they have this gigantic market cap. And um, if you're Eric Yuan, what are you thinking about right now, particularly in light of the Slack Salesforce deal? Well, he's got to figure out where he's going to take video, right? I mean, we've all seen this, you know, through every single video revolution that occurred, like, you know, whoever actually started and ended up in video. And and the problem with video was always, okay, there was never enough bandwidth. Nobody's going to use it. Like all those barriers are gone. Right. And so like, what does it mean for, you know, more than meetings? What does it mean if everybody has their own zoom account? Uh, what does it mean in terms of, you know, your, your ability to integrate with everyone else? So he's either going to play Switzerland and play this out and, you know, zooms embedded everywhere with everybody. So it's not a big deal. Um, or, He's got to figure out like who's he going to partner with and who the winners are so they can create an alliance or coalition to go up against Microsoft and Google uh, to a, some extent, you know, Salesforce, but not really. Amazon's definitely in the space, like coming after it pretty hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you got other players like Cisco's been in the space for, you know, decades. That's where Eric came from. So, so we have to see what, what they do with this, but he's got to figure out what that alliance looks like and, and, and where they're going to, you know, what areas they want to win in and what areas they're just going to, you know, not focus in on. Because you can take this thing so many different places. My, my concern for him, and you tell me if this is um, a valid concern. If we roll the clock back, I don't know, 10 or so years ago, maybe even a little longer, uh, companies like Dropbox and Box were red hot. And they looked like they, they, they were going to own the future of the enterprise and beyond. Um, and while well, the companies are still good companies and the products are still good products, they're not companies that matter anymore in terms of setting an agenda, dis- designing the new categories going forward. They seem to me to be, well, good companies and valuable companies, um, not very relevant as it relates to um, designing the future. And, and they had their moment and it looks like to me that they blew it. And I'm worried about that from a Zoom point of view, but I'm curious, what do you think about that analogy? Um, I think they've got about 12 to 18 months to figure out what that next strategy looks like. Do they sell at peak and then get out of it and then let other people build it? Or or they believe that they're a future broadcast platform uh, that everybody has their own personal Zoom. And just like in YouTube, you have your own personal ad network with the Zoom or, you know, you're, you're basically internal only. I mean, they have the ability to do all those kind of things if they want to. I mean, you've seen what they've done with some of these mega events, right? Well, if you can actually do broadcast, right, you are a video property. You are basically basically a media property, they haven't taken it from tool to we're now the broadcast property, kind of like YouTube is the broadcast property. So someone who's creative enough thinking about this market that wants to go after it pretty hard could attempt to kind of work with them in that regard. But the valuation is so high, right? That's the challenge. I mean, they're past anyone really buying it. So just FYI, Dropbox is 8 billion now. Yeah, but the market on Zoop's 120 or 116, something like that. Yeah, let me double check as we're talking. I think that's right. Almost like Um, 140 before. So let's see. He's sitting at right now. He's at 116, 116 billion. Yeah. Um, And he's done an incredible thing in terms of just think about how many tech companies have had to scale that much that fast. I know. I mean, you know, I say this, I say this funnily, but right. I mean, you know, they were lucky to sign that deal with Oracle. Um, and, and part of the reason they were lucky to sign that deal is like they couldn't go to Microsoft because of Teams. They couldn't go to Google because of Google Meet. They couldn't go to, you know, Amazon because Amazon's got a chime. So, I mean, and, and that's what actually, I mean, I always look at it like, I can't believe you can scale Oracle Cloud like that. That's pretty interesting to me, right? It is interesting, isn't it? And it's a feather for for Oracle because, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like like I said, uh, uh, in the history of tech companies, how many companies have had to scale the way Zoom has? 10 million daily active users a year ago to 300 million plus now. I know. 
I mean, and you know what I love about <laughs> Eric is he's been very heart centered about a lot of it. You know, when he first gave gave it away to schools, that was a radical, radically generous thing to do. And you know, when he came out and said on Thanksgiving, because there's a 40, 40 minute limit on the free version on Thanksgiving, it's free, you know, unlimited. And, you know, they've just tried to be very sort of generous in the way that they have capitalized on this opportunity. Yeah, no, it's been pretty good. I, I think they've done a good job. All right. We're going to end on a different note, though, here. Yeah. Where, where are we going? In- We're going back to like uh, awesome telemarketers. <laughs> <laughs> telemarketers. You remember Vince Offmer? You were talking about influencers, right? So yeah, you were talking about Tommy Vu earlier. Well, that yeah. you look up uh, Vince Offer. Look up Vince Offer. Oh, Vince uh, Offer. No, I don't know Vince Offer. Sham Wow. Snapchat. Oh, he's Snap the Chop. Sham Wow guy. Yeah, oh, Slap I love Chop. that guy. This guy was the best. Honestly, to this day, those are the best infomercials ever. Those Sham Wow <laughs> ads were unbelievable. And when 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 Dollar Shave Club copied the style, I was like, oh, this is freaking awesome. Remember? Like the Dollar Shave guy would be like, oh, and I don't care about this. And he'd turn over. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. So, the sham wow guy. <laughs> Vince Offer. Offer Shlomi, better known as Vince Offer. <laughs> yeah, it says he, he's a uh, slap chop. And the shticky. There's the shticky. I remember that thing. The shticky. You rolled on your clothes to get like all the all the lint or dandruff off you. <laughs> Some of those products were great. I forget the name of it now. Um, George Clooney was out recently doing a bunch of PR and somebody asked him about his hair and he cuts his hair with some like infomercial. The what? Floby. The Floby. <laughs> That's it. Did you hear about this? That, 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 <laughs> that, that uh, he fucking cuts he his hair with a Floby. Cuts his own hair with a Floby. <laughs> and, and apparently... The interest in Flobies has exploded since he came out and said this. I don't know. Can you still buy one? How do you spell that? I, uh, I thought it was a P-H-L-O, but I think it says Flobie. F-L-O-W-B-E. Yeah, there it is. Oh, no, Flo-B. it's here. Hey, wait a minute. There it is. Flobie.com. F-L-O-W-B-E-E.com. The revolutionary haircutting system you've come to love. Hi, my name is Rick Hunts. <laughs> the guy's name is Rick Hunts. That's a tough name right there. Rick Hunts. That's a tough name. It's like That's a tough name. It's like it's like Simpsons, right? When they call in to Moe's. <laughs> and this this picture of, of Rick, first of all, what the fuck kind of weird shirt is he wearing? And it looks like he's sucking his brain out of the middle of his head. <laughs> well, I think George stuff. Clooney probably sold twenty More billion floaties. of these things. Cause uh, apparently the most <laughs> handsome man in the world. Um, this is how he cuts his hair by himself. <laughs> We're sitting here in Lake Como with uh, George Clooney. He's got the Floby out. <laughs> and uh, he has the Floby system with the super mini vac as well as the, uh, as well as the co- co- complete system. And look at these things. I, I wonder how this works. You've never tried this, have you? I have not. I didn't know there was a no. whole Floby Super Mini Vac for fifty. Yeah, there's a whole system here. The Floby parts. You can buy certain parts. See, I'm not up to speed on any of these products because I haven't cut my hair for a very long time. Floby pet grooming attachment. That's where we're going, man. No. Flo- Floby cam assembly. Oh, there's a Euro to US power adapter converter. <laughs> and do you see this video with this mom doing it to the kid? The kid looks terrified. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> like he's going to rip his head off. Chris, uh, always then, a pleasure. And then they use it's the stupidest awesome. marketing line ever. <laughs> Don't just take our word for it. And then here are the client testimonials coming. <laughs> no, no, it does say that. This is hilarious. <laughs> no, this. this is great. And they're in Caraville, Texas. And don't, didn't they say this is all built in America? Made in Caraville, Texas, USA. So there yeah. you go. God bless Rick Hunts, the inventor of the <laughs> Floby. You too can take the Floby challenge. Now, uh, before I let you go, what what should we be paying attention to uh, megatrends in 2021 that maybe we're not paying attention to now? Yeah, real quick. Number one, automation. Uh, we might have talked about this before, and it's kind of ties back to that thing we we're talking about, decision velocity. Uh, the reason automation is so hot is because... Uh, it's been contactless, touchless, whatever you want to call it. But automation is, is, is the number one thing everyone's looking at right now. Uh, the second piece is how do we get the speed? Um, 
you know, the people are trying to get to speed in decision-making in almost every area. They learned that analytics is not an afterthought. Like all these folks were like, oh, yeah, we, we, this is great. We review our monthly, you know, reports, you know, uh, every Friday at the beginning of the month. And you're like, great, four weeks have gone by. I have no idea what you're doing. Like, aren't you riding in the blind? And so when COVID hit, everyone was like, oh my God, I, I need information at the beginning of the day. I need it all throughout the day. I need it in real time. Uh, and, and, and I think that's not going to change. I think analytics and insights are definitely going to get better. Uh, I think the third one that's a little bit different is, is really trying to understand human computing interaction even better. Uh, we're trying to understand is what's too much screen time for adults, right? What's, well, what's too much time, uh, you know, being isolated uh, what happens? And, and so like people are pulling out all these studies from like, you know, if we colonize Mars and how long could people stay in space, like talking to people without killing each other, <laughs> you get all this kind of things popping up. And, and I think that's really important. We're really trying to understand what, what that human need for interaction looks like, what that interaction with machines is going to be like, and how much is too much and how much is not enough. And, and what levels can you ha handle that kind of stress? And so we see a lot of studies like that popping up. Uh, and then I think the last one is really around the fact that, you know, even though people are still moving to the cloud and just getting started in the cloud, it's, I mean, we're 20 years in and this trend is like still trying to take hold, right? It's there, it's acceptable now. And, and now we're going to see a massive acceleration of the cloud. So, hmm. And will there be big, I don't know, com big banks or big other companies or government agencies who he heretofore have been adamant about having their own data centers that finally say, you know what, we're moving it all to the cloud. We don't need all this shit on our own, in our, all our own iron, et cetera, et cetera. Is there still a lot of that waiting to go? Yeah, they're going to do that, but... You know, they might take their mainframe and put it in the cloud. They might access quantum computing as a service in the cloud. It might be their own devices that are there. So we're going to see something like that happen. So, hmm. All right. Anything else you want to touch on before I let you go? <laughs> hey, happy holidays, my friend. Um, you too, brother. It's, it's, uh, it's been a crazy year. I can't wait for 2021. Uh, I need a clean slate. Right. Don't we all feel that way? I, I think I'm going to get some... Um for the holiday season, I'm going to get some fuck 2020 t-shirts made. <laughs> Sign me if up. I I'm do in. it, I'll send you one. I'm in. I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> all right, Ray, and I sure hope you'll come back, and I sure hope you'll tell us all about your new book about the digital giants and all the business models and all that other stuff. When does the book come out? Everybody wants to rule the world. We're going to, we're going to use the hashtag rule the world and July 2021, but it's on Amazon for pre-order. And really surprised. It was number one in three categories on day one. So it should be like nowhere by, by next month. <laughs> so. Well, I just love that six months before it's available, it hit number one. Maybe, maybe what yeah, you should like do is hours. just never launch it. <laughs> no, it's the number one best-selling book you never bought. <laughs> and what a great title. Everybody wants to rule the world. So did yep, you, uh, have you reached out to the tears for fears guys yet? I need to go find Kurt Smith. Do you know Kurt Smith? If you do, let's, let's go track him down. No, I don't. But you know, <laughs> we, between you and I, we can't be more than one degree of separation from them. I know better than Kevin Bacon. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ray, happy holidays. Love you. And, uh, can't wait till our, for, for our next conversation. Love you as always, man. Thanks. All right. Take care. Well, there he is, the legendary Ray Wong, back again. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you did, why not share it with everybody you know right now? <laughs> now, my friends at Splunk are the global leaders in data to everything. And, you know, I like to try a, um, a, a, a uh, sort of cocktail party uh, or maybe a Zoom cocktail party trick, which is name me something that isn't going to get connected to the Internet or the cloud because everything is being connected. And the question is, what do we do with all of the data? Well, that's where Splunk comes in. You see, Splunk brings data to everything, every question, every decision, and every action. And organizations around the world use Splunk to modernize and strengthen their cyber defenses. Splunk is used by some of the world's most sophisticated enterprises to monitor, detect, respond to, and resolve digital security threats. Visit Splunk.com slash D2E today and learn how to turn data into doing. That's Splunk.com slash D2E. And now, more than ever before, we need to manage our businesses with precision. 
And that's where my friends at NetSuite by Oracle come in, the world's number one cloud business system that really encompasses everything you need to run your operation from finance, inventory, e-commerce, HR, and more. And as of now, over 24,000 enterprises rely on NetSuite for things like budgeting and planning. How do you manage a rapidly changing supply chain? And how do you accelerate the order to cash cycle? I don't know anybody who doesn't want to do that right now. NetSuite is the platform for building a legendary business. Check out NetSuite.com slash different today for your free product tour. That's NetSuite.com slash different. All right. We would like to thank, of course, the legendary Ray Wong himself. You can check him out at ConstellationR.com, as in research. That's ConstellationR.com. And you can check out his incredibly popular internet show, uh, Disrupt TV at constellationr.com slash disrupt. My friends at One Life Fully Lived are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. If you're looking for a nonprofit to uh, throw some coin at who's making a giant difference, particularly for underserved communities, check out the number one life fully lived.org. My friends at Spiro.ai are the sales app for salespeople and sales managers who like to sell more and close more business and use the power of AI. Visit Spiro.ai today. Uh, my friends at Squadcast are the platform we use for podcasting. If you want to sound great in your guest podcast, check out Squadcast.fm. It's the remote platform for professional podcasting. And my friends at Interview Valet are the the leaders in podcast interview marketing. If you want to get your uh, leading thoughts on some leading podcasts and turn those uh, podcast visits into business, check out interviewvalet.com. And my friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net. And if you can, now's the time to make a difference to uh, nonprofits, to food banks, or anyone else in your community or around the world. It has been a brutal year, and if you're in a position to help, uh, now's the time to help. All right, this podcast is uh, only for people who value real different conversations, and it's the sole property of the Lodcast. <laughs> for some reason, I have a hard time saying Lockhead and Oddcast together. You'd think after, I don't know, 400-something episodes, I'd have that figured out. Uh, we are never tested on GMOs, and all rights do remain perturbed. The creators of this oddcast were absolutely consuming libations. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check him out on his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do Lockhead.com and technical legendariness around here. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember to listen to The Tragically Hip. Support your local businesses. Thank you so much to all of our healthcare heroes. Thank you so much to all of our uh, technology heroes. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. Podcasts make wonderful gifts. Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. I love you, Mom and Dad, and hey, Colin. This oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Greg Clark, former CEO of Symantec. Sorry, Greg. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Um, best wishes for 2021. It means the world to me that you uh, invest part of your life with us. Please stay healthy and uh, stay legendary. And until we're together again, of course, follow your difference.